So Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The issue that he's dealing with at hand is the issue of grace. Sometimes people can err on either side of this issue. On the one hand, people can err on the side of not recognizing the grace of God or that salvation comes completely through the grace of God. And so we try to work at it. We try to earn it. We try to achieve it. I know that's kind of the mindset that I grew up thinking. I thought that if I made it to heaven, it would be because I was a good enough person. That that it would be because I believed in God and I lived a decent life. And so I was measuring my life by at least somewhat of a concept of a, a law or rules and regulations. But you know what the problem with that is? That if we're going to measure ourselves that way, we don't get to come up with our own list of rules to measure ourselves by. We've got to go by God's standard. And none of us make it. Even if I just take the top ten, the Ten Commandments, we don't make it. And I'm talking to I don't care if you're the oldest person in here or the youngest person in here. You've already blown it. If you hold the Ten Commandments up to your life, and I do this with the young people uh, occasionally in our release time ministries and stuff, the kids that are in first grade, the first year that they're in our release time, I hold up the Ten Commandments, and they aren't even able to break some of them yet. 
But the ones that they can, they have. Those kids have already disobeyed their parents. They've already, most of them use the name of the Lord in vain. They've, they've, they've lied. They've, <laughs> they've already broken them. You see, that's the problem is that none of us can achieve it by the law. And that's what he's been telling them. What he's been telling them in the earlier chapters of the book of Romans is that actually the strength of sin is the law. Because the law comes along and points out our sin and shows us to be under condemnation. And so if we try to measure ourselves by the law, if we try to achieve heaven or achieve eternal life on our own abilities, we fall short. We don't make it. And the wages of our sin is death. On the other side of that is a misunderstanding of what grace is all about. He's been spending chapters 4, 5, he's been talking about grace and how salvation is through grace. And he's used some examples. He's used the example of Abraham. He says, look, if the, if the giving of the law, if it was keeping the law that made us right with God, then the Bible wouldn't have said about Abraham that Abraham believed God, which Abraham was before God even gave the law. He says okay, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he says, you see, Abraham, even though he was a good man by our human standards, was not really a good man by God's standard. He wasn't perfect either. And so he can't measure up to God in his flesh But you know what? He believed God and God credited that to him as righteousness. So we see the grace of God giving as a gift righteousness to Abraham because of his faith. And then he uses the example of David too. And he said David talks about a man who is counted righteous, whose sins are forgiven apart from works, separate from works, but only through his faith. And so he spends this time telling him, look, you cannot... Earn it. You can't achieve eternal life. You cannot be justified before God on your own efforts. You don't measure up. And so you're going to fall short. You're going to be condemned. Except for this. Grace. It says by grace, God gives righteousness to us. He gives eternal life to us as a gift. What does grace mean? It means we don't earn it. I got eternal life not because I earned it. Not because I was good enough. But God in His grace gave me eternal life and the vehicle that it comes through is faith and that's grace but you know i've been in conversations with people before where i'm trying to explain this to them and tell them look until you get to the point just like romans 4 tells us until you get to the point where you stop trying to earn it you never receive it it's kind of like i often think of a christmas gift it can sit under the tree forever and never really be yours until you go open it But you know what? As long as I was trying to earn my relationship with God, I never recognized it as a gift and actually received it. And that's what it takes. And so the grace of God was sitting there in a gift for me, but I was not availing myself of it. And so I was continuing in my lost and dead state. Well, I remember talking to somebody about this and trying to explain that to them. And they had a real trouble with it. And you know what the trouble was? They said, that can't be it. And I said, why? Why can't it be it? I said, I can see where it can't be the law because then nobody makes it. So I can see why we we shouldn't go by the law. But I said, why can't it be it? And there's been different times when I'm in conversation with different people and they all have the same argument. They say, if that's true, then you can believe in Jesus and go live however you want. To a point, they're right. You can believe in Jesus and go live however you want. But you know what? If you believe in Jesus, you're going to want to live the right way. There's that whole concept of faith. Faith isn't something which you academically or just head knowledge understand to be true. It is something that you're trusting in, something that you're committed to. It's believing, really believing it. And what do you do when you really believe something to be the case? You act on it. You follow through. You live up to it. 
You know what? It shouldn't strike us as odd when somebody has that question because they had that question all the way back in the day that this book was written. In fact, the Apostle Paul was anticipating that question when he wrote this book. In verse 1 and then up in verse 15, he has the same statement or same question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? When we get to the end of chapter 5, the, one of the very last things that Paul said was that where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Grace abounded all the more. So no matter what sin a person has dealt with or struggled with in their life, the grace of God can overcome that sin in your life. The grace of God can forgive that and to cleanse you from that sin. And that's why he says, now some of you are going to say, well, if that's the case, wherever we have sin, we have grace. If there's more sin, there's more grace. More sin, more grace. Then why not just keep on living in sin? Because the grace of God overcomes it anyway. In fact, we'll get to see more grace because it takes more grace to overcome more sin. It comes down to fundamentally this. Does grace leave you in your sin? You see what I'm saying? We all know that the grace of God brings forgiveness of sins. But the confusion comes with this idea of what is grace. Does the grace of God forgive you of your sins and then leave you in them? That's the question that he's asking. Shall we just then go ahead and stay in our sin? We believe, we know that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead for me. Now, I'll just go ahead and continue about my life the way that I've been going. I'll just continue to live in my sin. Does the, is that really the grace of God? And the answer that he gives for that is an emphatic, in the Greek language, it's an emphatic no. He's like shouting here, absolutely not. And then when we get to verse 15, about halfway through the chapter, he does the same thing. What then? Are we to sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Absolutely not. And as we look through this passage, he's going to highlight for us two different reasons why grace does not leave you in your sin. The grace of God not only gives you salvation from the penalty of sin, which is death, He gives us salvation from the power of sin in our life. And that's more of a process. We get some of it instantly, right off the, right off the bat. But then we grow as we walk closer to God. We grow in that. The first reason that we see that grace does not leave us stuck in our sin is because grace unites us with Jesus Christ. And that this passage focuses on that repeatedly in the first 11 verses. Notice in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, and that's where baptism comes in. What he's doing is using baptism as an illustration. If you were to make it simple, he's saying, look, shall you continue in sin so that grace may abound? No. The answer, your baptism. Your baptism communicates your union with Jesus Christ and your separation from sin. Notice in verse 3 there it says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. If we skip down to verse 5, it says, For we have been united with Him in a death like His. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Skip down to verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. You see, over and over it keeps using that statement, with Him, in Him. We've died with Him. We were resurrected with Him. In fact, in a couple of places it just says it. We are united with Him. 
in His death. We're united with Him in His resurrection. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's a relationship. We're united with Him. Why are we not left in our sin? Because we're now in Christ. We're with Christ. We're united in Him. It's this committed relationship that we're a part of. You know, over 34 years ago, I stood in a church and stood up front while I watched a very beautiful young woman walk up to me. And I couldn't wait to say my vows. Not because I was itching to be up in front of people doing that, but because I knew at the end of those vows, she was mine. And you know what part of my vows were? Part of my my vows was, and separating myself from all others, I would be committed only unto her. And I was so excited about that. I didn't care about any other woman in the whole world. I get to have her. And that's what, you know, God uses that marriage relationship to describe His relationship with us over and over and over, Old Testament and New Testament. And He says, look, this is, this is your relationship to Me. Well, if we have that kind of relationship with Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus. Now we're united, just like I united with my wife. Lisa and I became one. We united together. I'm united with Christ. Well, then how can I live in sin? It's like contradicts everything I'm about now. Right? Because now I'm about Him. Because He's about me. We're united with Christ. It's like we died with Him. And we also will resurrect with Him. And so it says now our baptism signifies that. It signifies what we believe. It's a symbol of what we believe. When we hear in a little bit when Mara's lowered down into that water, it's a picture of Jesus dying and being buried. And when she comes up out of that water, it's a picture of Jesus coming up out of the grave and being resurrected to a new life. And it says we're united with Him in that. So when Mara goes under this water, and she and I have already talked about this, when she goes under this water, she's recognizing that I died with Him. I am now dead to my sin. And as she comes back up out of that water, I am alive to God. I'm alive because He lives. That's what it pictures. Grace does not leave you in your sin because grace unites you with Jesus Christ. Another word that he uses that's a little less oft used by us in our daily lives is the word sanctification. As we get farther on in the passage to verse 19, it says that we are slaves to righteousness at the very end of verse 19, leading to sanctification. Sanctification, these are kind of Bible terms, right? Justification means just as if I'd never sinned. It means that uh, even though I was guilty in my sin, Jesus Christ died for me, and now through Him I'm justified. Justified was a legal term that meant the gavel came down and said, you're innocent, you're declared innocent. That's justification. Sanctification means to be set apart. This means to be set apart, separate unto God. Holiness. Remember in Hebrews we looked at a few weeks ago about, it says, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God is, God is holy like we sang in our first song here today. He's holy in His character, in His nature. And you know what? So are His children. His children are made holy in position and then we follow in His holiness in a practical way and that's the word sanctification. Sanctification is a process by which God continually pulls us closer to himself. He continually sets us aside more to himself. In other words, we become more and more like him and less and less like that sinful person we were when we started out. 
That's what happens in our being united to, to Jesus Christ. Well, not only do we see that grace unites us with Christ, but grace also separates us from sin. He deals it in a, in a practical way because he, he compares it to slavery. And he says, look, you're, you're the slaves of whoever you obey. If you give yourself to slavery to sin, then that's still your master. God's not your master. But if you give yourselves to slavery to God, then you pursue righteousness. Look in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's just reverse the order. Because you're under grace, sin will not exercise dominion over you. In other words, it won't overcome you. You will overcome it because of the grace of God. You see, people say, well, if it's all on grace, then you could go out and live in whatever sin you can't. No, you can't. Because grace works in your heart and gives you the power to overcome sin and gives you the desire to step out of your sin and to live for God. That's what grace does. It doesn't just forgive you of the consequences of sin. It empowers you to overcome it. Throughout this passage, just like we looked at our being united with Christ repeatedly, we see the same thing in our relationship to sin. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what is my relationship to sin? And we start off in the very first verse. He says, how can we who died to sin? That's my relationship to sin. Once I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm dead to it. And then as we go skip down farther into verse 6, the last part of verse 6, it says that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And then in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 18, and having been set free from sin. And then verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin... And it becomes slaves to God. You see, repeatedly through the passage, he's making the point, we're dead to sin, we're set free from sin, we're no longer enslaved to sin, we're not in bondage to sin. That is our relationship to sin. We are, to put it simply, separated from it. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Obviously, we're, we still struggle. That sanctification is a process. We still stumble and fall. Even when you get up into chapter 7 of the book of Romans here, the Apostle Paul recognizes, and he's very open with us, that he has a struggle with it. He says, sometimes I find that the things that I want to do or the things that I find myself not doing and the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And, but the point is, by the time he gets to the end, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, you, what you see within the man is sometimes he stumbles and falls, but he's struggling. He's fighting the fight. He's having the battle. And you know what? As we look at what we know of the Apostle Paul and his life, he was overcoming and he was growing just like we do. He wasn't the same sinful person that he started out by this time that he writes that thing. He had overcome a lot of sin in his life, but at the same time, that struggle still there, but you continue to fight that fight. You see, the passage is saying, do we, do we just give up the fight and just live in sin since grace will overcome it anyway? But if you can do that, you haven't experienced the grace of God in your life. It's a, it's a salvation issue, not, not just a, a growth issue. Because the grace of God does not leave us in our sin. We see it in several different ways in the Bible. One of the ways that we see it is just by direct statement. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What is doing that work within us? Grace. Grace not only forgives, it's active. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 
and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. See, that's what grace does in our life. Not only that, we also see it in the process of getting saved to begin with. When we receive eternal life from Jesus Christ, it's because we've trusted in Him. And the call to come and believe in Jesus Christ is a call to repentance. In other words, it's a call to separate yourself from your sin. To leave your life of sin and come to Jesus Christ. You cannot come to Jesus Christ and bring your life of sin with you. They're diametrically opposed to each other. You know, it's like when I, that day that I was talking about when I said my vows to Lisa and we got married and, and we became one. I couldn't, like, bring a girlfriend along with me. I'd say, well, here we are. You know what she would have said? <laughs> there you are. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? It's one of the things I liked about her. There's no playing games. Oh, if you want her, you don't have to choose between me and her. I'll help you with that. It's her. I'll see you later. Well, that's the way it is with Jesus. Our old life of sin is what He died to overcome. He's not, he doesn't want us to just bring it with us. And that's why the Bible repeatedly uses the word repent. Jesus did in Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 15 verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He describes the people that are coming to Christ as people who are repenting. That's what they're doing when they're coming to Christ. Luke chapter 24, this is where Jesus gives us the apostles the Great Commission. And it says, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. But Jesus told the apostles, You take the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin out and you reach the world. That's exactly what they did. Because that's exactly the word that we see them using through the history book of the early church, which is the book of Acts. We look through the book of Acts and that was their message. Now in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches at Pentecost, it says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He just told them, Look, God sent His Son into the world to save you, and you crucified Him. And they said, What do we do? And he said, Repent. You repent and get baptized. Because that baptism was a picture of their belief in their union with Christ. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter again preaching, he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 5.31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 11 says, When he heard these things, they fell silent and then, and they glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now what that's about is you remember the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, which that's where it started. When the Gentile got saved, they're like, what? God cares about the Gentiles? Really? <laughs> and, and then they saw, wow, I guess He does. God has granted them. And how do they put it? Repentance. In Acts chapter 20, it says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20 but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Notice what he's saying there. He's telling these people, look, you need to repent and turn to God. That's what repentance is. It's turning around. It's turning from the direction you were going and turning and facing God. He says, and then the deeds in your life should show your repentance. So you see this idea of a grace that you just bring your sin with you. That's not grace. That's not grace. 
I've seen at times people confirmed in a salvation that I do not believe they possess. Because they're, told, they're asked a couple questions. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead? Yes. Wow, you're saved. Even the devil knows that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, James tells us. You know, a lot of times we bring people to a, well, did you pray? Did you ask Him in your heart? And that's an important thing. That is when we come to trust in Him. But you know what? I've seen people led in prayers that no more have Jesus in their, in their life after they prayed that prayer than they did before. It's about turning. It's about being united with Christ. It's about really believing. Not just saying that something exists or something is true, but really believing it, stepping out in it, trusting in it. And that's exactly why we see the statement in Titus about what does grace do? It trains you to be more godly. What does grace do? It calls you to repent from your sin, to leave your life of sin, and to unite yourself with Jesus Christ. And that's also why we see passages in the Bible like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look, he's just pl- saying plain and simply, look, if you, if you are living in your sin, you're not on your way there. You're not part of the kingdom of heaven. But I love the next verse. Because when we look at verse 11, it says, And such were some of you. I love that. You know what? I have been things that I am not anymore. I have done things that I'm ashamed of and are detestable to me now. And that's, just, so that's what he was saying. To the, all this list of sins that some people were living in. He says, you know what? Some of you were these things, but you know what happened in your life? Grace. God delivered you from those things. You're not stuck wallowing in those same sins anymore. It's the power of God in their life. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's why when Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. The point he's making is very simple. If everybody was just and righteous, you wouldn't need laws. We have laws because people aren't just and righteous. He says, For the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Jude does the same thing. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he says, I wanted to write to you about our salvation, but I ended up having to come and contend or defend the faith. And why did he have to come and defend the faith? Notice what it says. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who perverted the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They were doing what Romans 6 said, we do not do this. They were taking the grace of God and saying, look, because of the grace of God, we can accept that sin. We can tolerate that sin. We can condone that kind of behavior. He says that's not grace. Grace does not condone sin. It does not tolerate sin. Grace overcomes sin. And so if we have a biblical understanding of what grace is in our life, 
we won't have that question that they had in Romans 6.1. We'll understand that being saved by grace, which we are saved all of grace, we're not saved one iota because we earned it. We're saved because we get it as a free gift from God, our loving Father, who gives it to us because of His own benevolence. But if we think that that just means that we can just go on living in sin and bring our sin with us, we are deadly wrong about what grace is. Grace doesn't leave you stuck in that slop. It delivers you out of it. If our actions don't back up what we say we believe, well, then I'm afraid that our actions speak louder than our words. Because this grace is an awesome thing. It not only delivers us from the penalty of sin in our life, it delivers from the power from sin in our life as we are sanctified, brought closer to God.